Today's sermon passage is found in Exodus 32 to 33, 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early and the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with the fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. And so they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered round him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. 
and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go up before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up amongst you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we pray that you would take these words of truth, these words that you have spoken, and Lord, I pray you would cause us to hear them and believe them. Even more, Lord, I pray you would cause us to be convicted by them. I pray you would draw us close to Jesus because of them. I pray you would work in this room to cause all of us to know and rest in your love to us through Jesus, your son. Now, Lord, would you help me to speak these hard words to us, your people, in a way that we would run to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it was about noon last Monday that I realized I should have scheduled 10 weeks for this section of scripture that Brandy, or not Brandy, Brittany, sorry Brittany, um, that Brittany just read for us. Instead we have one. So here are some sermons that you won't get to hear. Um, Drink your sin. Um, Why sometimes our leaders shouldn't listen to us. And I wanted 
just to have the name of this sermon be that emoji that's just this, you know, just because that's how I felt reading through this over and over and over. Here's the reality. What's taking place in this passage is abject rebellion against God. And our human inclination is to read these stories and go, as Austin mentioned earlier, how, how could they? How could they? That's a, that's a fair question, but there's a better question. Lord, will, would you help me not do what they did? And the reality is that in some ways, we do, we have, and we will rebel against the Lord to some degree. So let's just get the good news out there to begin with. The Son of God, Jesus the Christ, came and lived and died to take away the sting of all that rebellion. If you're in Christ, your rebellion against the Lord will not sit on your shoulders because Jesus paid the penalty for it. I hope that frees you to listen to this message reflectively and honestly and lean into the conviction that the Lord might show you. If you're here today exploring the faith, wondering if you what it might look like for you to be a, a Christ follower or a child of God or don't even know what that means. Just, just hear this. This issue of sin, of rebellion against God, and God's anger against it is real. And it's not a one-time story reality. It's an eternal reality. And if, if any of us today are hearing this without the sacrifice of Jesus covering our sin, this should be a fearful reality. But a fear that the Lord might use to drive us to his son. So friends, this passage is about rebellion against God. Now, we're often quick to get into the idolatry talk and to get into subtle idols, but, but that's just the means. The reality here is God's people out and out rebelled against God. And this passage says that the Lord will not take lightly such rebellion. It makes it abundantly clear. So with that in mind, let's look at the passage together. But the main point is this. Rebellion through covenant breaking is not or is never acceptable to God. Rebellion through covenant breaking, is never 
acceptable to God. Now, if you want to take notes, the first point, the covenant. The covenant. Now, this is a contextual point, meaning it's a point dealing with what's come before we get to Exodus 32. So if you just go up one verse, Exodus 31, verse 18, Moses is meeting on the mountain with God. He's been there for 40 days, and we read this. God gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So what that is telling us is God is giving to Moses as a gift for the people to take down the mountain a written set of tablets that establish their covenant relationship, more importantly, God's covenant relationship with his people. So the idea is Moses is joyfully going to enter the camp and say, look what God gave us, our covenant relationship with him. So what did the tablets say? Turn back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'm your God. I've delivered you. I've made you free. Now our covenant relationship will look like this. And we only got to go too deep to get to the irony of all this and to the travesty of all this. You shall have no other gods before me. This will be a loyal allegiance between me, your God, and you, my people. Verse 4, second command, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the Lord is sending Moses down the mountain with the tablets of testimony, the tablets of the covenant. And, and, and when the, Moses arrives with the tablets, the people would have heard the voice of God, Exodus 20, give these realities and now received it almost feels blasphemous to say this the handwriting of God but it's not blasphemous because it's in the scripture the, the handwriting of God the terms of this covenant relationship and before Moses can get down the mountain the rebellion will happen So there's one more reality for us to remember contextually. Exodus chapter 24. Verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So they've entered this covenant relationship 
And the Lord is memorializing the covenant relationship for his people. Now, as we begin to look toward the rebellion, let's remember a few things. The major event in Exodus is God getting his people out of Egypt. But the challenge now is getting Egypt out of them. The Lord intends to make Israel a distinct people. Distinct by their commitment to and obedience to the God who has entered relationship with them. Israel is intended to be both a redeemed people, freed, and a transformed people set apart for God's holiness. And this rebellion that we're about to look at is going to drive home just how much work is there to get the the polytheism and the idol worship and the false God realities of Egypt out of the Israelites. Because at the core of the rebellion, and this shifts shifts us to our second point, the rebellion. At the core of the rebellion is Israel's quick turning from the Lord and a quick returning to Egypt and its gods. Or we might say it this way, a quick turning from the Lord and a quick trying to make Yahweh the one true God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the image of the gods of Egypt. Let's make God into a golden bull, calf, baby. Like, like let's do that is a step directly into the religiosity of Egypt. So let's look at the details of the rebellion. This is in chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. The people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. He was there for 40 days. So they gathered together to Aaron. Now remember, Aaron was left in charge by Moses. And they said to Aaron... Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said, okay, take your golden earrings and bring them to me. And so they do. And Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and fashioned from it a golden calf. And we might say, well, but, I mean, he made a golden calf. That's art. What's the big deal? This is the big deal. Look at the latter half of verse 4. Aaron said, These are your Gods, O Israel, the calf is your God. And then he goes one step further. That step was bad enough, but he goes one step further. 
Who brought you up from the land of Egypt? Do you see what Aaron just did? He said, the calf is the God who delivered you from Egypt. He is directly taking the glory of Yahweh and placing it on the statue. I think if Aaron were here to defend himself, he might say, well, no, Jamie, I didn't exactly say the statue is your God. I just said the statue is a representation of the God who brought you out of Egypt. That's why I began with the commandment. But what did God say? There will be no representation of me. Representation is blasphemy. I reveal myself in the way I choose to reveal myself to the people whom I choose to reveal them to. Don't take anything that I've made and say, that's me. So Aaron is guilty of idolatry and blasphemy and rebellion by reducing God to a calf and saying, that's your God. Let's worship it. He goes on, let's have a feast to it. Let's celebrate it. So the people are out and out rebelling against God. You might say, how do you know that? Well, let's look at what God thought about the rebellion. This is in verses 7 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have, have what? Corrupted themselves. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord goes on. I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, the Lord is saying to Moses, the people have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside from what I've commanded them. They are a stiff-necked people, and my wrath burns against such rebellion. Guys, there's so much there that we could dive into and that I would encourage you to dive into. But for now, I want you to see this. The Lord is interpreting the golden calf as an act of abject rebellion, and he will not accept it, and he will not stand for it. So before we dive into the Lord's response, and I'm quickly making peace with, making peace with the reality that we're going to be here next week too. Let's think for a little bit about what it looks like for us to rebel against the Lord in the way that is clearly 
angering to the Lord here. <clears throat> and again, I, there is a place for the very popular conversation about subtle idolatry in our lives. Like I've made work an idol or I've made my family an idol. Like I don't want to, I don't want to, um, strike that language from the record, but I don't think that's the kind of thing that's being talked about here. This is, I am rejecting the Lord in a way that the Lord is offended at the misdirection of my worship and the misdirection of my allegiance. So what might that look like? I have five thoughts for us. Number one, the type of rebellion that's laid out here, I, well, I guess I could add six. Number one, it could look just like this. But are any of you guys tempted to go home, make a golden calf, and call it God? If you are, like, stay after. I want to I reason with you, but I don't think that's where most of us are today. So let's, let's go to number two. Denying God's son. Denying God's son. Hebrews chapter 1 begins this way. In the last days, God has spoken through his son, giving the full representation of himself through his son. So to know God, to respond to God, to be in covenant relationship with God, to walk with God, to please God, and to know what God would want from us, that all flows through his son. Therefore, later, the author of Hebrews would say, without faith, meaning without faith in the son, it's impossible to please God. So to deny God's son is to abjectly rebel against the Lord, and the testimony of the scripture is the Lord will never show his favor on those who reject his son. Now, friends, rejecting the son of God could be a factual rejection, but it also could be a rejecting the son by running to other places for forgiveness, by running to other places for God's direction, by running to other sources for God's desire and leadership, we run to the Son. Second, or third, I'm sorry, I added one here, third, this rebellion might look like outwardly rejecting God's truth. Outwardly rejecting God's truth. And now I'm talking about the things that are clearly revealed by God to his people. To deny God's son would be to outwardly reject God's truth. So if the Lord has spoken clearly and unequivocally 
and reveal things about his character and his nature which are true than to outwardly and brashly reject such truths would be a form of rebellion against the Lord. Now, a lot of you are like, oh, that means if you don't think exactly like I do, then then you're guilty of Exodus 32. I would challenge all of us to reason with the theological realities that are rooted in what God has explicitly revealed. For example, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Son except through Excuse me, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's clearly and unequivocally revealed. To reject that would be to reject God's truth. There are other theological premises that we hold that are four, five, or six logical conclusions away from what the Word actually says. Those logical conclusions aren't what I'm talking about. But to outwardly reject God's truth is a form of rebellion. Fourth, to outwardly reject God's uniqueness would be a form of the rebellion that's talked about here in this story. Many scholars believe that the golden calf was a step back to Egypt. It was a step back to what Egyptian worship looked like, and then saying, hey, our God looks a lot like their gods, which is a rejection of God's uniqueness. He is holy, which means unlike any other. Set apart, we only know him as he reveals himself. So for us to try to make God into something that he's not and make him like all the other gods of all the other peoples and all the other places or to make him more palatable or to make him more acceptable than as he's revealed himself would be an act of Rebellion. Fifth, an act of rebellion would be reducing God to a trinket. And you probably chuckle at that, but here's the reality a lot of people have reduced Jesus to the symbol that God gives good things to us or that things will go well for us. You know, there's that sense in which you hear your kids say something that's just horribly untrue and then you realize like, what have I done or said to produce that in them? Any of you parents ever had that that moment? Okay, good. It's just me. Glad. We'll get our family cleaned up and, and we'll move on. Well, like, so when I say reducing God to a trinket, you're probably like, yeah, people don't do that. Let me tell you a very real story that happened less than 24 hours ago. I hang out with a group of 11-year-old kids every weekend. And yesterday, there was a very improbable, positive outcome for our group of 11-year-old kids. And one of them came up to me very excitedly after the game. And he was like, Coach Jamie, Coach Jamie, I think that good thing just happened because I wore my cross necklace today. And then another kid overheard that, and he ran, he goes, oh, well, I have one that has Jesus on the cross, so I'm going to wear that one tomorrow, and it'll go really well for us. And so I got these two 11-year-olds out in the baking sun, and I'm like, guys, 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 if, if you can get anything from me 
anything at all. Let's just get this. That's not how it works. Jesus isn't something we hang around our necks so that good things happen to us. He's the Son of God who came to make God known, who lived to fully obey God, who died on a cross to take away the sting of sin, and who promises a life better than anything you could imagine in everlasting life, not a better version of the suburbs Now, those kids had no idea what I was talking about, but I've gone on the record. (laughs) Jesus ain't your trinket. But don't we do the same things, guys? Don't we do the same things? Okay, so now I'm completely rewriting a sermon on the fly. See, all the gospel was all in point three that we haven't gotten to. So I got to get gospel here, okay? Next week is all gospel. Come on back. But hear this. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 in conclusion. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I might make you a great nation. The Lord's not going to destroy them. And he's not going to start over with plan B. Because what Moses does in verses 11 through 14 is he lifts up God's promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And God is a God of covenant. God is a God who is faithful when his people are unfaithful. And God is a God who is building a people that were set apart by him to be made holy by him. Friends, We're stiff-necked. We're rebellious. We are not always faithful. And if we think that, we have a problem. But we have more revelation than they had. Christ died for stiff-necked people. Christ died for covenant breakers. Christ died died for lawbreakers, and Christ changes and transforms stiff-necked people into obedient people. And he transforms rebels into joyful submitters. And he transforms those who break covenant into those who cling to him as covenant. We take this story and we see ourselves in it and we run to Christ. Perhaps some of us need to run to Christ for the first time, for salvation, for forgiveness, and for welcome into the family of God. Jesus stands willing and ready and able to receive. Come to him today. And perhaps all of us need to say, Lord, show me where I might be rebelling and break me. Bend my stiff neck, oh God. And show me where I'm towing right up to the edge of rebellion and stop me.
Make me love you and your word and your covenant above all else, I pray in Jesus' name. Let that be. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take this word which you have spoken and we pray you would speak to the hearts of your people in a way that changes who we are and bears much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.